Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's been a while since we had a chance to just lock in uh, on some games, our f- favorite Tuesday night pastime, and some interesting ones on the schedule, to be sure. The marquee game of the night, Toronto and Memphis. Toronto roared back to a 122-114 victory after the Grizz put up 71 points in the first half. You got anything in general you want to start with here? Well, I should start with something that I noticed in the first half, even though it, it ended up being, I think it was still largely true in the game was just we've talked before about Memphis's defense and figuring it out I, I've admitted that I was wrong on Memphis that I didn't think their defense was going to be this real and Kyle Anderson especially in the beginning of the game did a wonderful job on former teammate Kawhi Leonard but also Garrett Temple I thought was a really nice fit you know was competing making life hard on those Raptors guards as well and having multiple options having lots of guys that can give looks I mean they're not going to score 71 points in every half obviously it was only the uh, Bontemps had the stat it was only the second time in like 10 years that they've done that but they have that defense that can that can make life hard even on good teams oh so it was the second time they've done it in the last 10 years yeah that's what memphis scoring 70 and a half and i really like the job that kyle anderson did overall in this game even though he continues to be you know more modest as a score he had 13 in today's game which was actually like doubled his season average yeah he's really been struggling actually from an efficiency standpoint but he got some he got some layups today and Jimmy Bickerstaff largely tried to match him up with Kawhi Leonard other than at the start of the fourth quarter and he did well holding Kawhi to only 11 shot attempts in 37 minutes was impressive and Anderson is a good matchup for Kawhi as opposed to against quicker players because Kawhi other than very quick bursts is generally not going to blow by someone uh and so his isolation game against Anderson with that 7-5 wingspan and pretty good strength doesn't work quite as well and then Anderson also has the long arms quick hand to knock away Kawhi's dribble not let him get comfortable backing in so much of Kawhi's game is about pace getting to a spot and Anderson made him uncomfortable the Raptors started going to more pick and roll late that's where Anderson's not quite as good getting over screens uh and the Leonard Ibaka pick and pop ended up being pretty effective as time went on and then also transition as well so uh, the big thing that I noticed here the 71 points I knew already, I went back and and watched the first half, I saw the second half live, that the Grizz put up 71 points. So I was incredibly curious to see how it was that the number 
number 25 offense in the nba managed to score on what's a very good raptors defense and the answer was they just hit a crap ton of mid-rangers uh they went eight of nine on twos outside the paint and eight of 14 from floater range so 16 out of 23 on shots that you're normally going to shoot about 40 percent on and that was a big reason why their performance cratered in the second half they only got up 11 three-point attempts actually finished with 29 so they hit some threes or took some more threes in the second half but they were also uh four out of 11 from three which is a pretty decent percentage for these guys so i thought that toronto didn't really need to change up what they were doing that much that by just staying the course continuing to compete the, the grids were bound to come back to earth and that's what ended up happening and then toronto was able to run it down their throats when the grids started missing yeah another factor in that was also the free throw line memphis went 13 of 13 from the line in the first half and then only made five i think they were five of eight in the second half and so the the frequency and the success right there are both harder to overcome and something else i think that that toronto did unless i missed that you mentioned this just before is is changing up their defensive yeah. strategies which i thought was really interesting as well just nick nurse they they said it. i, I was on the toronto broadcast for a portion of this game I actually switched between them depending on when i was watching the game and they talked about how nurse says they have about 70 percent of their defensive playbook and now that seems about right for a team you know about a quarter of the way through the year because you want to have most of the concepts in but maybe not all the wrinkles and then you still add in stuff for the playoffs and so they actually went to a zone for portions of that second half yeah i went back and looked at that it was it looked like they were only doing that on a dead ball and that's more of a concept that you'll see in high school and college where you change up your defense uh from man to zone based on whether you're the other team is uh on a coming off a make or a miss or a dead ball um and so it looked to me like pretty much all of the plays that they ran and i think it was five possessions but they held only one bucket on those possessions it's, it was a one two two matchup zone that's generally what nba teams play although i'm actually not as familiar with how nba the principles of nba's own defense is man just because we haven't seen as much of it but the grids were a perfect team to break it out against because when anderson is on the floor they really and they're playing with michael green who's not a great shooter they had gasol but gasol is never in the corners if you think about a one two two you got two guys who generally kind of want to be on the block your weak point in the one two two is generally going to be in the lane because those guys have to cover the corners and so and with the defense of three seconds it's tough to have both those guys in position where they can protect the basket well part of the reason for that is that in the nba the corner three is so valuable and almost any nba team's offense is going to have a guy who's a threat from there so that corner guy is responsible for protecting the rim and for getting all the way out to the corner if that's a big guy it's going to be very difficult for a lot of guys the raptors have a, a lot of talented players who can do that uh, although they're generally playing either siakam or uh and anobi in, in past games they've played at the top of that zone but they've got ibaka they've got got leonard usually uh at the base of it but when you don't have to guard the guys in the corner as much then it's much easier uh, to play that zone and so it, maybe there were some more possessions i went back and just looked on synergy they logged only those five as zone possessions there may have been some more that they missed uh but i did think it was interesting and it looked pretty good for them uh, i think the only bucket was like a jamichael green fadeaway where he cut to the free throw line and one other tactical element of this game that I found compelling was Nick Nurse deciding to start Serge Ibaka. A lot of times when a team is playing a, a, a big center, now calling Marcus Gasol a traditional big is 
doing him a disservice because now he has so much range on his jump shot and he he's more versatile than a lot of those guys. He's tall like those guys, but he doesn't have that game. And one criticism I've had a lot of the coaches that do change around their starting lineups is that I think they're more often reactive than proactive. And both approaches have merit. It just depends on the circumstance. And so I like that Nurse went with, you know, he didn't go with Valanchunas, who I think would have gotten eaten up a little bit more by Gasol. You, you know, you're kind of, you're playing into an area that Memphis is more comfortable and going with Ibaka. And as you said, there were elements of this game when he was doing pick and pops that it really did help them. And I also think that part of the benefit for Toronto of going to those lineups, especially against the starters is A, they're going to have to do it in the playoffs and B, I think it really does open things up for some of their support players because it's just, it, it restructures the defense a little bit. And even though it wasn't technically attributable there, I thought part of how Danny Green went off early was just that the defense wasn't, they weren't all in the places that they're, they're usually comfortable. Yeah. And I think it, you know you mentioned the, the Ibaka Gasol matchup and I thought it was better defensively and offensively. Now you can say that against a, a lot of teams, but generally Valanchunas, his advantage is going to be muted. You know, you just say, okay, we want a bigger guy to match with a bigger guy. That's Gasol. But Gasol is probably more damaging and pick and pop at this point. I mean, he can hurt you out of the post, but the Raptors are so good at scrambling. They can double team if they, if they felt like they had a bad matchup with Gasol in the post uh, against Ibaka. And Gasol ended up having a wonderful game with 27 points and 10 of 14. He was awesome. And the Grizz ended up having a really nice offensive game. They shot it well uh, on maybe some a more difficult mix of attempts. But then I think it's more important even offensively because Val- Gasol is really difficult. We've seen him have some very nice performances guarding other bigs one-on-one. So Valanciunas' post game is probably not going to work against Gasol. And then Valanciunas is better at rolling to the basket than Ibaka is, but that allows Gasol to stay home and play his type of preferred defense that he's been better at again this year after a rough defensive season last year. So I think trying to space Gasol out uh, really worked pretty well with Ibaka and Ibaka had a solid game himself, 16 points on 7 of 11. Fred Van Vliet was a lot better in this game than he, I mean, he's had a rough, rough start to the year and I thought he it was going to get derailed by him running into the cameras that are still there. There are fewer cameras and they're they're in a little bit of a different place for whatever reason they thought having runways was they, enough. They should consider they should but, consider moving those cameras. What do you think? Would, would that be a good idea? Do you think that like player health and safety is a little bit more important than you know seeing that that camera angle from under the basket? You know, I I, I mean I, I know it's close. You know, I know we really love that camera angle. It's it's really important to us. But you know, do you think it, it would be more important to like have the players be healthy? I, I don't know. What do you think? It's a close call. You can definitely argue both sides of the issue, but maybe we should just teach the controversy. <laughs> but Van Vliet, uh, as you mentioned, recovered from that. Three of three from downtown. He had some big threes in the fourth corner, uh, fourth quarter out of the corner, got going in transition, 18 points on only eight shooting possessions. I mean, that was uh, outstanding. And uh, as a result, he was closing the game over Danny Green, which I, I thought was a little questionable. Uh, and Green was uh, was excellent again himself in this one with four of eight from downtown but uh, the Raptors are going to need Van Vliet to get going here and uh, so that that was a good sign because he has struggled quite a bit this year coming back from a, a variety of injuries yeah and Danny Green still shooting 43% on threes I mean he's at last time I checked he was the one Raptor that was really like dominating in that respect maybe they've had some guys bounce back a little bit over the last week or so but just he, he's do, done so well this year and I've been really happy to see that from him Siakam I, I thought he played more more under control offensively than I mean it, it some the, the Grizzlies are not necessarily well suited to take
taking care of his eccentricities. And then something else I think that really was a factor in this game early, and then it's just kind of lingered throughout. Jaron Jackson has been awesome a lot of this season. I mean, we'll talk about that in a future 15 and 60, I'm sure, because just he's been, I think, one of both of our favorite players. And he picked up two fouls in like the first two minutes of the game. Then Jermichael Green came in. And even though I still firmly believe that Jaron Jackson is a five and that will be his long-term position, he is still a meaningfully better power forward than Jermichael Green. And so Memphis had to, you know, just, they had to get their rotation a little bit off and they just don't, didn't have as many guys to really work into those spots. And so I think, and Jackson ended up f- having five fouls playing only 19 minutes. And I thought that did really hurt the Grizzlies. Yeah. I want to make a, another point here uh, on Jackson, but first uh, I want to tell you about a great gift to this holiday season. You probably don't think of an electric toothbrush as being a great gift, but the Quip electric toothbrush is one of the most gift guided gifts of the season. It's something that anyone is going to use twice a day. If you're not using an electric toothbrush yet, you are blowing it. You have sweater teeth. Your gums don't get as stimulated. Your elbow is getting warm out trying to brush or you're just getting lazy by the end of it and not doing as as good of a job. And Quip to me is the best electric toothbrush out there because it just uses one AAA battery that lasts for three months. You don't have to worry about charging it constantly. It's not all bulky. It fits perfectly in your docket. Just went home for to Chicago for Thanksgiving and uh, it was just so easy to just throw the multi-use cover onto it throw it in my dock kit and there's a built-in timer that pulses to remind you when to switch sides it's really just a fantastic gift option they started just 25 dollars as well uh, it has a stocking stuffer price they tell me and if you go to getquip.com slash cap space right now that's g-e-t-q-u-i-p.com slash cap space you can get your first refill pack for free with a quip electric toothbrush but whoever you get it for you can just keep that refill pack for free if, if you want to you have to tell them about that once again the way to get started with quip is getquip.com g-e-t-q qip.com slash cap space remember with that slash cap space url that lets them know that you came from us so the point i wanted to make about jackson is one that we've made some before and the grids were scoring relatively well in this game although they certainly struggled to generate quality shots in what became a 29 to 17 fourth quarter for toronto even uh, Brevin Knight, the Grizzlies analyst, and it is very rare that any of these analysts who are essentially team employees will criticize the strategy. But he basically was saying, hey, you know what? Having Jaron Jackson come up and set a bunch of screens, he's going to get illegal screen calls if he's setting like a hard pick and roll. Better to have him in pick and pop. And Jackson uh, was 4 of 4 from downtown the other night, didn't attempt a 3 in his 19 minutes tonight. And just having one more guy who can bomb it from out there, who will bomb it from out there, could really open things up for uh the grizz ball handlers um what else you got on this game something that i found interesting was just how much not, it's not necessarily playmaking i think playmaking is overstating a little bit but how much trust nurse has in giving his quote-unquote big guys i'm counting siakam there though siakam's role is very complicated in terms of describing him with those kind of lines but siakam had some nice passes abaka and valanchunas each had some feeds and i really like those more democratic offenses and memphis has those elements too partially just because marcus is a ridiculous passer and so i i like that siakam has the agency and actually one of my favorite plays was not really that type of thing he drove i can't remember for the life of me who he drove on drove to basically underneath the basket and though basically it seemed to me like the intent of that drive was not to score for himself it was to draw marcus enough to make the pass to serge Ibaka for the easy dunk and that is not a play you see any guy who is more of a support player offensively make because especially if they're a big dude like i mean six six or above let's say and i just like that he has that in his game we've talked about this i mean going back to that game when the celtics ripped him up a few 
few times that if Siakam can hone what he does well, he's just a different animal than the other guys that Toronto can play at the power forward center positions. Yeah, I think the league is starting to come around to the fact that, as we are as analysts, that Siakam is capable of some of these plays. I mean, he won Eastern Conference Player of the Week recently, although those are uh, often rather political awards, shall we say, or uh, PR-based awards. I think it'd be hard to argue that he was the best player in the Eastern Conference last week. But he, you know, there was one play that he had as well where you know he went into his move where he catches it at the foul line and tries to attack and and goes into a spin move and Marcus Gasol was just waiting right there and he did a great job of not losing his dribble and finding Ibaka for a wide open corner three which misses in the fourth quarter. But I, I thought he that one play illustrated you know, he had four assists in this one that his decision making continues to improve and the tighter his handle gets the more he'll be able to make those kind of passes because you, if your handle is tighter then you can react more quickly to the defense the ball is spending uh more time within your control as opposed to away from your body being dribbled uh, the tighter your handle is Kyle Lowry just uh, you know we should really talk about him you know he had a mere six assists which is below what he's been averaging but you know he shot it extremely well from three uh, I thought that they had a lot of success setting screen rolls really high up on the floor for him you know they even had to bring Gasol pretty far out on the floor eventually and Lowry was able to get to the rim for a, a layup blowing past him and so Gasol has been very effective as a paint defender but what you do when you set the screen you know 35 feet from the basket is that gives the guy enough time to go downhill and then hopefully pull up for a three after the separation has been created but he's also going towards the basket you know he's not going sideways with that screen usually you're trying to keep the ball on the side so the screen gets set parallel to the baseline the guy can accelerate then in a vertical line towards the basket and so then if the big has to come out to take away that three off the dribble now you've got a chance to blow by in a way that if you're close to the basket you don't really have that with a guy who knows how to play the angles uh, like Gasol but you, there's more separation to be created going to the rim that way I also saw Omri Caspi hit his sixth three-pointer of the year that puts him only four behind last year which is pretty incredible and he just looks I mean it's still not a perfect shot mechanically but he looks a lot more comfortable doing it and another nice game for Shelvin Mack he's been and such a revelation is a strong word for it, but he's had a really nice year as Memphis's backup point guard. He plays a fair amount with Mike Conley as well, of course. And just getting that reliable play from another guy who isn't Mike Conley has really helped their second unit find their find their stride. And Memphis has gone to some of these mixed lineups and has done better with those than some other teams have. Yeah, Mac had been slumping a little bit recently, but it did have ten points in this one. I do want to say that as well as Kyle Anderson did defend Kawhi Leonard one on one, and he did score pretty well with 13 points and he really just does not space the floor and he was able to get open in the dunker position for some layups that's how he got most of his points but he was still negative 12 and I really think that they should be giving Wayne Selden a, a little bit more of a look just because he's comfortable shooting the three uh and I thought that he did a decent job on Kawhi he's not going to do as good of a job one-on-one on Kawhi as Anderson was going to but just having Anderson at the three especially when you're playing with Jermichael Green like they did down the end and there's just like no wonder they can't score at the end of games especially against an elite defense like this you know and Mike Conley it was just it became too much for him to have 
have to create at the inning ends i mean he he's a solid pick and roll operator but he's not going to be able to you know if you're switching him to create reliable offense and isolation and in pick and roll every single time down without the floor space and so i I do think that anderson creates a lot of steals he's worked in this system they have lost three straight now they're 12 and 5 now they're 12 and 8 but at some point i think they're gonna have to look at getting a little bit better of an offensive option out there and selden is probably the guy to me that they also probably miss dylan brooks uh in terms of his ability to shoot the three you know he's out with that mcl tear uh in the midst of a six to eight week absence a couple more notes here jaron jackson had a seven block game a couple games ago and most of his shot blocks come just due to his amazing timing and length and he's usually blocking the ball in the guy's hand very tim duncan like in the sense that he's generally not just skying and like rejecting guys like way above the basket uh but the downside of that especially when you're a rookie and you don't get the respect from the rest that tim duncan did and you're not as good at making that googly-eyed face that tim duncan would while he was holding both hands on on the ball and getting it all sweaty up against his own jersey uh, as he would complain to the refs is that when you're trying to block the ball out of guys hands you know a lot of times you can commit a foul if you're just a little bit off and so a number of jackson's fouls came that way or we saw kyle lowry go right through his arm for a foul call as well kind of get him with that so that's that'll be interesting to watch the evolution there of how many shot blocks he's actually going to be able to have you know it seems like some games he does really well other games you know he'll get into a very early foul trouble and uh, i think that's all i have on this one i want to bring up one thing kyle anderson you know he'll have certainly moments like on quiet leonard but i think from a team building perspective it would be good for memphis to think of him as a four just because offensively that's the closest i mean i i first you decouple for me offensive and defensive roles but because you need so much spacing around him yeah they might have signed him to be a, a, a small forward but if they go in that direction and there are certainly bigs that can space the forward, maybe you can fudge some of those distinctions a little bit but if you think of him as him as a four or him being the worst shooter of their print of their non centers either of those things would be useful because i do think there's value in kyle anderson it's just that you need to put him in the right circumstances to succeed and so memphis isn't going to have a lot of flexibility moving forward but to me you throw those resources at more of like a two or a three rather than a four to pair with him especially if you feel like i do that jaron jackson will eventually be a center oh one other thing i want to say about the raptors too i believe that they have the highest defensive ceiling in the playoffs right now of any team in the nba i mean they just have so many guys with such length and what you know siakam leonard i mean the way these guys close out to shooters at the three-point line the level of energy that they have i I, you know i i would question maybe you'd say it's golden state but i think draymond iguodala in particular clay kd like these guys have all taken a little bit of a step back and they're also just so good offensively you know they kind of don't need to get to that absolute manic intensity level defensively uh but the raptors i mean just they have so many guys and they come at you in waves and they're able to you know even someone like van fleet is a very good guard defender even though he doesn't have a elite length right i mean like the warriors don't turn teams over nearly as much as they used to and the raptors will get into your shit i know they only had five steals in this game but they you could still see them making things very difficult with their lengths and especially the way they were able to close out and make some three-point shots more difficult than guys were anticipating immediately uh all right let's turn to detroit and new york probably don't need to spend as much time on this one this will be our first uh knicks game that we've done but sadly they've actually had a a couple of nice wins lately uh and then this one was a, a rather ugly affair for the new yorkers it started out pretty well i you know the benefit of being the first game on is that it's easy to watch intently because there's nothing else to keep an 
eye on. The Knicks started with uh, five of Moutier, Hardaway, Hazonia, Vonley, and Cantor. And one of the things that group did was just get a ton of offensive rebounds. They were grabbing their own misses, but one of the problems, which ended up rearing its head later in the game, was that they were also missing a bunch of shots that should have gone in, you know, putbacks, shots around the rim. And yeah, a lot of them were reasonably well contested by the Pistons, but I think there were a lot of missed opportunities there. And then when they shifted to that young guy, it's actually a pretty fun lineup of Trey Burke, Frank Nokina, Trier, Mitchell Robinson, and Kevin Knox. That group just couldn't really find it on either end of the floor. And then that to me is when the Pistons really took control of this game. Yeah, it was a 17 to 2 Pistons run down the end of the first quarter. And the Knicks, I think, had 15 points halfway through the quarter and finished it with 19. And some pretty rough shooting nights uh, by some of these bench guys. Knox was one out of seven. His shot selection was not good. I mean, I think he missed a layup. And I didn't watch the absolute entirety of this game because it was pretty in control in the fourth quarter. But every shot that I saw him take was a contested quick shot you know maybe one open three was pretty good but some ugly twos uh burke at at one of eight i mean he has been a mid-range master since coming to new york but it did not have the touch in this one he was a team worst negative 18 they did get some nice contributions as they it was a weird fourth quarter i mean very little scoring but uh, in the first half and then it was the knicks put up 38 points in the fourth but detroit had 34 so they didn't really get that much closer but damian dots who didn't play at all and this is crazy Dotson played like 30 seconds in the first half after having not played the previous like three or four games and then finished the game with 23 minutes <laughs> and he had he had 70 points it was three of three from downtown I, I had liked his contributions and I can't say I followed the Knicks enough to know why it was that he was taken out of the rotation I mean I think they were just they actually have a lot of guys who you know Moutier has been playing well lately Hardaway came back from injury that's probably part of it uh Nilke Kina has to play. Burke has been okay. Trier had another great game today with 24 points and seven assists on, on only 17 shooting possessions. Uh, I mean, he's someone we'll probably have to do a more full breakdown on at some point here. So it is actually going to be tough for Fizdale to find time for all these guys, especially because he also seems to like these two big lineups with Vonley and Cantor starting together. And then he'll play Cantor and Robinson together sometimes as well. Uh, so it has been an interesting mix and match. And, you know, of course, I was and his canter complained about his minutes and then basically instantly started play, playing a ton of minutes uh aided by the fact that robinson fouled out in this one but he, he played 41 minutes the other night in memphis and uh 36 minutes tonight yeah i mean the inconsistency with uh, it expanded beyond that i mean so hazonia played i think it was like 14 minutes in the first half and four in the second and dotson it was even more extreme than you said it was six seconds in the first half and then 23 minutes in the second half which is astonishing yeah no yeah and, he brought him in for so those, one defensive possession and then there was a possession. foul and he took yeah. him right back out again and even mike breen was like yeah he's only played uh he hasn't played all the last four games and then he just had to go out again after six seconds he, he and, and then the fact that he brought him in immediately uh, was, was so interesting um yeah and, and it is a challenge when you have this many guys and the competing pressures that fizdale has at the moment of you know trying to see what he has and all these guys and then the, the a lot of young guys that are worth playing as well it's not just you have to play them it's that you actually want to see what they have true is a good example of that they have a lot of them and Moody has also been better. So you want to make sure that Moody gets time. He only played eight minutes in the second half. And we should turn a little bit, though, to the team that actually won the game. The well, can, I, Pistons. can I say one more thing on, on the Knicks, too? I mean, I, sure. I think Hazonia has just got to go from the rotation. He's on that one-year deal. Absolutely. Which, you, which you've killed. I mean, Knox, you know, has to play. I mean, he's definitely not earning. He's shooting really rough right now. Uh, you know, he's definitely not earning more than 15 minutes a game. But he's got to play some. Uh, Robinson's 
got to play some trier you know dotson is another guy who even moutier is someone who could be a part of their future potentially hardaway is the the one guy they have long-term money committed to so uh and then courtney lee's going to come back too and, and in theory he's going to have to play at least to reestablish any potential trade value so yeah a lot I mean, the Knicks, none of these guys are amazing, but any of them can get hot on a given night. And it, it does, it is difficult for uh, Fisdale to manage. But yeah, you, you wanted to turn to the Pistons now. Well, before we do that, before the season, I thought that Nick Vucevic was going to be the guy who just was a strange fit chronologically with his team because he's an expiring contract. They have all these young bigs. I think that's actually more Ennis Kanter than Vuce, mostly because Vuce has just been so awesome to start this season. And I'm sitting there with Kanter. Not that he's a bad player. He's, he certainly is not. I mean, he had 16, I think he had 16 points. Yeah. 16 points in this game 16 and 14 had a a series of offensive rebounds especially early in the game but you're kind of sitting there going well what is he it's not that he's a bad player but what information are you gleaning from it and that's not necessarily like oh they should cut him that's not the circumstance that the knicks are in but probably lean on somebody be like come on would you want you ennis canner's better and like i would probably take back a pretty significant downgrade just to sort out part of this rotation yeah although the problem is that such a player must also have an expiring contract this year right um you know you could see cancer eventually being a buyout candidate as well and he also he makes it really tough defensively because like Kevin Knox really has to play at the four and I mean they had a lineup out there with Cantor, Knox, Burke, Hardaway, and Trier. I mean you just you're never gonna stop anybody with a lineup like that you know I mean so it would be helpful to have a center behind you know when you're playing Knox at power forward and Knox is just you know he doesn't do anything on the glass he's not physical I mean all all the things we talked about in his scouting profile though you know I think he has potential obviously uh so yeah I mean he's not a great fit here I mean they do need someone who can score I mean they do take a ton of mid-rangers and just you know getting some offensive rebounds and some post play i mean they do need that uh, to some degree but yeah i mean at seven and 15 now uh, for the knicks you know that they are not going to make the playoffs they were briefly competitive early but you know lost some close ones and now they're out of it so i'm in agreement there uh where do you want to start with the pistons i mean i think blake griffin uh obviously uh, the knicks had absolutely no answers for him he was running every aspect of the pistons offense in this one he was and the knicks we talked about how they have a lot of interesting guys none of them are particularly well suited to guarding Blake Griffin Griffin had 30 points despite shooting 9 of 21 from the field and that's because he got to the free throw line 16 times made 12 of those 16 free throws and also yeah was there oh no he wasn't their leading he was the leading assist guy in the starting lineup but he wasn't their leading assist overall because Smith had seven in 21 minutes as he often does as their kind of second unit guy and yeah I thought I thought they just didn't have an answer for Blake and again the lack of rim protection in their starting five even though they're playing big they just don't really have that guy that meant that when griffin got to the basket he could he could just get fouled and he got fouled on jump shots a couple times too yeah the pistons continue to struggle from downtown i mean they're seven out of 24 blake was 05 himself I mean, that's really the only reason why uh, his line didn't look quite as good from field goals inside he was really bullying both 9 to 16 on field goals and then uh getting to the foul line but and he could have had so many more assists and certainly so many more hockey assists because it got to the point very early on where they were just doubling him especially once fondly was out of the game i mean they're you know or they would just run three one pick and roll and get one of these little 
Nick guards on there and then they just uh, had to double you know as you mentioned Cantor was not someone who was going to protect the rim and he he spent plenty of time just like glued to Andre Drummond theoretically boxing him out but just like not making the help rotation he was supposed to make so he could box out Drummond uh and, and Drummond did the same on Cantor at the other end this was kind of a war on the on the glass if you throw in uh Pachulia there uh, as well but yeah I mean Blake really it's I really wish the Pistons could make a shot so that we could get a better idea I mean I think Blake has been playing playing uh, at an all-star level obviously we have to go through all the all the teams here but uh when we finally game it out and and see where he falls in that pecking order but it has surprised me how few teams have really had no answer for him this year uh, in the post and i think the fact that he now can stretch out to three and if you guard him with the center now that guy has to get all the way out to the three-point line even at an iso even guarding him off the dribble that that really kind of changes things so much because now you can't really put size on him also the fact that you know they're just putting the ball in his hands and having him one run four one pick and rolls and four two pick and rolls like teams are really having to like double him like he has been a force and just you know if the pistons could just hit a league average amount from three i know they're down in the bottom of the rankings i, I think they'd look a lot better now is blake can blake score against the best defenders and the best defenses you know i'm not sure that he can but there's probably two-thirds of the teams in the league who are guarding with a dario Saric or a, a mario hazonia or someone like that or just don't have anyone to protect the rim if he does back down on your best players uh you know i think that's uh he's very very effective that way and we saw that with the i think the 16 free throw attempts even more than the 30 points is an indication of just how much trouble some of these teams have dealing with him another piston who had a nice game was stanley johnson yeah the box with the boss score stats were there but i also thought defensively he competed and he's he's just a hard guy to deal with on both ends mostly on the defensive end but but on the offensive end when his when he's rolling all the way to the basket and he's not starting gr gr3 started but only played 11 minutes yeah, in this he, game they, they and, uh Dwayne casey bogans the hell out of him mm-hmm. and so i don't know exactly i mean johnson he's been better the last couple of games but he, I, i'm still not all the way there yet on him but he certainly provides the most upside at that three spot and they've been looking for answers there it seems like for a lifetime yeah this is one of those oh man he's really playing better like you know that the end of that phoenix game he, his shot looked really good he was two or three from three in that game he was two or three from three uh in this game he had 14 points last game and 21 points this game like he's really must be playing oh uh, no actually no he's shooting 30 uh, percent from downtown uh, this season and 40 percent overall from the field in 24 minutes a game uh, but you know he, he did show some signs in this one i thought he was good in the transition game he got to the rim got to the foul line so uh, I, i'm not willing to say this is a step forward for him it, it is worth noting how young he still is i mean he was one of the younger guys in his draft class and you know the pistons now have won uh four of five although none of them incredibly convincing but they had a nice win over houston uh beat phoenix who had uh just had a big win themselves so uh, the pistons now go to 11 and 7 not an unbelievable point differential but to be at this way it seems like they always start pretty well and we haven't seen them really have any kind of injuries yet you know canard is the only one who's, who's had any kind of an injury yet so you know certainly blake's health is always a, a question mark uh, you got anything else uh, from this one here well i don't know if this is necessarily on this game originally but just this will be something we probably talked about in the 15 and 60 next but there are already four 15 lost teams in the east the knicks being one of them and so i think we're already kind of starting to see that separation so it's there are the fringe teams and everything else but there are four teams that i think we could say you know barring a heat-esque run are probably out of the playoff mix even if it's a you know like a 40 win threshold i i mean it would be very surprising to me even if the bulls you know are 
much better when they're healthy to see any of those teams get into that range yeah so that's chicago new york atlanta and who's the last one I'm and the resurgent of? cleveland cavaliers oh, yeah how could i forget them i think who have doubled their win total in the last two games <laughs> A couple other notes on this one. Really rough one for Mitchell Robinson falling out in 17 minutes. Just committed a lot of bad fouls. I mean, he's had some games where he's looked really good. His energy has looked good. They actually even put him in as a defensive replacement to guard Blake Griffin uh, one-on-one at the end of the half. And he did actually an okay job. He forced oh, yeah, go ahead. which feed were you watching in this game? Uh, Pistons. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Knicks, Knicks. I was, so I cracked up in the early part of the Knicks game. I think it, it was probably Breen brought up that they're like, oh, the Pistons know that Mitchell Robinson bites on head fakes. And it's because, because Blake Griffin did it once and Mitchell Robinson just flew a mile and, and got called for the foul. And he, that is something that can pick up in a scouting report of like, oh, this guy bites on every fake. And Robinson will get better. He has a lot of time to do it. But yeah, that's a big part of how he fouls out so swiftly sometimes yeah but if you compare for example his awareness to say someone like damian jones even though jones is like i think four years older than him at this point you know the guy's a somewhat similar physical tools though to, to me robinson is uh far superior in that regard even as well to jones but i think his recognition is much better you know he just he plays hard he's able to to go for blocks get him uh, protect the room he's a wonderful offensive rebounder uh and you know, he has some of the foibles. He did get beaten in pick and roll defense a few times, but you know, this, this isn't the end of the world, but it was a rough kind of rookie game for him. Worth noting too, Andre Drummond after that nice resurgence going, or surgeons, I should say, uh, 60% from the line last year down to 49%. That's a little troubling. Uh, he was 0 for 4 tonight after he got hack of Drummond in the Phoenix game and had to be taken out uh, after missing a few. So that's something to monitor. I really hope that he's uh, able to maintain that improvement. It's really just like so miserable both to watch and also just to you feel for the guy missing uh, the free throws uh and drummond also i mean i thought he was really pretty disengaged tonight with only six points on three of nine the aforementioned zero for four from the foul line he's really not a very good post defender i mean joel and beat has completely lit him up but with how quick his feet are and his length and leaping ability you'd think he'd be an awesome post defender he's so strong too but like you know canter beat him up pretty badly on, on a few plays and you know, he hasn't really shown the ability to play one-on-one post defense which you know it's coming back into vogue a, a little bit with uh some of the centers uh, the offensive centers that we've seen in the league all right we'll talk a little lakers denver here but first this uh from everlane where you never have to overpay for high quality clothes they actually sent me some stuff right before my honeymoon and so i i ordered a, a bunch of nice stuff you can check out what i ordered actually at everlane.com slash cap space and i've really been impressed with their quality especially considering their prices are 30 to 50 percent lower than traditional resellers and they use ethical factories so they're not getting those low prices by exploiting workers they are really transparent about everything they're doing their materials what their costs are they want you to know exactly what you're paying for and why i really enjoyed uh, all of their khaki shorts and they had a really nice uh button henley t-shirt uh, that i enjoyed uh, as well but yeah just just go to that link everlane.com slash cosplays check out their site and you'll find it's no frills there uh, just quality which is uh, pretty much what i go for in my style aside from my sneakers once again that's everlane.com slash capspace easy remember slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program everlane.com slash capspace 
All right, so we could talk a little bit about this Lakers-Denver game. It turned into a huge blowout, 117-85. Uh, it was largely over after the third quarter when Denver led by 18. And I know you watched some other games, so maybe we can get a, a few quick observations on those. Uh, but what, what did you have uh, on this one? The Nuggets absolutely just dominated this game in the beginning on the interior. They were score. I think they scored their first like five baskets in the paint. And a lot of that was actually off interior passes from Nikola Jokic. Jokic is unbelievable. We've talked about his passing before. And this was a little bit of, I mean, I'm not saying it like permanently or anything like that, but the bubble bursting on the, the Lakers by, you know, big guys, them just dominating when those guys were on the floor. I thought JaVale got outplayed and Tyson Chandler was probably a little bit better, but not not great either way. And they also got just beat up on the offensive glass, a, you know, 16 offensive rebounds for the Denver Nuggets. And most of those were during the competitive portion of the game. That's a 34% offensive rebound rate, which is really high and more than double what the Lakers did on that end. And also, I mean, Torrey Craig started in place of Gary Harris, who's still unavailable. But I thought the, you know, the the injury replacement standout for me in this game, as he has been for a while now, is Juancho Hernan Gomez. I just really like his fit and the way that he has stepped into a larger role than anybody anticipated with Will Barton being out. I don't think he should be the starter necessarily when Will Barton gets back. I'll have to think about that. But he definitely is a rotation player on this team, just competes, opportunistic, good instincts. And he's been better at the three than I anticipated, especially when he came to the league, when I thought, I really liked him. I w- I've been on Wancho for a long time, but I thought he was a straight four, and now he's more of a forward than that. So all of that certainly is interesting from the Nuggets standpoint. I thought Millsap was able to make some hay posting up against some of the smaller, less intense Lakers players. He did a really nice job on LeBron. They had Craig on Ingram a lot of the time. I thought Craig did a good job of making life difficult for Ingram when he tried to initiate the offense, although Ingram had a, a relatively efficient night from the field Lonzo tried to to give it a go after sprinting his ankle he said later it was in the same spot that he had sprained his ankle earlier in the season so that then they had to bring Josh Hart in for him but the big culprit here for the Lakers was five out of 35 three-point shooting and not only that but they also shot one out of eight on two-point jumpers so a combined six out of 43 and that was the sort of shooting performance that we feared we would see when the Lakers put this team together but a lot of that was guys that we thought could be pretty decent shooters kcp who continues to shoot really poorly josh hart even svi mikhailiuk who who played i think the whole fourth quarter uh, exactly 12 minutes he was one out of five lebron was 0 for four you know he hasn't been shooting great uh, from downtown either he, he struggled to a, a pretty miserable five out of 15 90 was a negative 23 in 30 minutes so uh, this nuggets defense it continues to be pretty good and you know when you're playing guys like Millsap and craig with gary harris out with the ankle injury as you mentioned Jamal Murray is improved certainly Jokic is improved the Lakers aren't a team that's going to put a ton of pressure on a guy like Jokic and spread pick and roll which is you know his biggest weakness that remains is just the ability to cover ground in spread pick and roll and then protect the basket once guys get going downhill in, in spread pick and roll so I, I think that the Nuggets match up reasonably well against the Lakers and then they also were able to keep the Lakers out of transition which was huge that really killed them in that first matchup that where the Lakers gave them their first loss back in October so uh, the Nuggets uh, have really righted the ship here it looked like they things were kind of going wrong and uh now they are right back to kind of where they are supposed to be and I mean it's 20 games now this Nuggets defense is starting to look like it's uh, a real improvement at this point in time 
yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, 20 games, 21 games in the season for them. Third in net rating, second in defense. So even if those take steps down, still a really good team. Let's see if I had anything else on this one. It was only an eight-point game at halftime, and Nikola Jokic basically ended the game on his own with a personal 8-0 run right at the start of the quarter. He banged a three on JaVale McGee. Then he hit another, like, 28-foot three on McGee in kind of a trail position. Then he got out on a fast break and got fouled and then really the play which was beautiful was lebron caught the ball at the free throw line Jokic, it wasn't even guarding him snuck up behind him tipped the ball away and then ran down it and got a layup so just like that it was a a 16 point game and the the night was pretty much over it was really an incredible sequence from Jokic. for those who say all right you know Jokic isn't that dominant of a player like that is a time where you know he really did dominate it and it was the decisive sequence of the game it was i i was frustrated that luke walton kind of let Lonzo Ball come back in after a sprained ankle. Yeah. There, it's, I think, the third time in the last two years that Lonzo Ball has gotten injured and has gotten his way back onto the floor. He's too young and it's too early in the season. You can be cautious. I mean, yeah, the game it was an eight-point game then it wasn't completely out of control, but playing the long game here with the Lakers, I mean, even without Rondo, they have these other options. They have LeBron James. They can play Josh Hart. They can do all these other things. And so you have to look out for what's best for your guys. And Lonzo, playing on some of those previous ones, exacerbated the condition then he had to miss additional games and so Luke Walton I don't know what the reasoning maybe the medical staff thinks these things aren't as bad as they are or he you know is trying to be the player friendly coach or something like that but need to be able to put your foot down a little bit harder on this kind of stuff and that's something he probably either did pick up or should have picked up from his prior coaching gig because the Warriors have been pretty good about that overall over the last couple years and yeah they're a much better team so you can afford to tell a guy to sit for the rest of the game but it's best for the long term also a nice game from Malik Beasley. Some of it was in garbage time, but 20 points, 8 of 14 from the field, and two steals. And I, I just think he looks more capable on the floor. Another guy who has taken on a larger role due to absences. And while I don't think, you know, he's not blowing me away, I kind of thought, okay, he's a break glass in case of emergency guy, and he might be a little bit better than that this year. Yeah, he's established himself as a solid rotation player. We'll see if the three point shooting at 37% is able to hold up. You know, he's still not as impactful as a defender as I would have hoped. I mean, he's really almost been more of kind of a scoring combo guard type of uh, type of player uh, than he has been really the impact defender that he was supposed to be coming out of florida state i mean he's averaging 0.4 steals so far this year and uh, you know just uh, and doesn't really get to the foul line either you know his athleticism doesn't jump off the page but it's good to see him at least get quality minutes from him in his slot in the rotation you know both he we thought that they might be sunk uh with will barton's injury you know that they were very thin on the wing and wancho is playing extremely Julie, well, I mean, you remember his career appeared dead in the water before this year after he, he had that lost season due to mono last year after we were very high on him after his rookie year and then Beasley as well, you know, to at least give them some minutes where they cannot get killed. I mean, that bench unit uh, that he's a part of uh, has been outstanding so far. Did you want to comment on any of these other games uh, that you watched a little bit of tonight? Yeah, I mean, it's a rare night that I actually get a chance to see a little portion of everything. That's part of why I like these Tuesdays so much. And so go to the last, the other co-last game of the night, Indiana, Phoenix, the last game of the night that was actually competitive late and yet another game for Indiana without Victor Oladipo. They did win this one and they've it, stayed afloat a amazingly of... well without him, by the way. When yeah. you compare where they were with it without him last year. Yeah, they were 0-8 or 0-7, I think, last year. And, you know, the, these games have they've certainly been more mortal with without him, but they can still pull it out. And this 
tied in a couple of threads for me from we've seen so far this season. So Phoenix, they did lose, but they looked a lot better overall. You know, like they're they're just they're a little bit better defensively. The rotation makes more sense, even though I, I still think Jamal Crawford's playing too much. He played 22 minutes in this game, but he he you know he was scoring. He, he had 12 points. But Tyreek Evans helped. Darren Collison had a few just ridiculous highlight plays on DeAndre Ayton, including absolutely breaking his ankles. And you know it's good that Ayton was out there and trying to defend him and fell down like a big tree. But Collison just got into a rhythm a little bit. And then Miles Turner, he his defense is kind of different. Like he's not the defender necessarily that I expected because I thought he'd be more capable as kind of a pick and roll type defender. And he still has a lot of work to do there. Not that he's bad, but he just needs to get better. But I thought he did a really nice game. And something that impressed me late, he ended up on Devin Booker a couple times. And Devin Booker was not looking to pass late in this game, not looking to pass at all. But Turner on one possession just stayed with him. Booker had the ball, did pass it, was dribbling all around. Turner stayed with him, could have lost him twice, kind of as he was going into traffic, stayed with it. And then also had, um, you know, and he got beat on a step back that Booker ended up missing the shot. And then Turner also hit a big three-pointer, something that we've lamented that he hasn't shot enough of in this. So it wasn't, a, you know, he's not a perfect player, but there's still a lot to like with Miles Turner. And then the other breakout guy in this game, granted, some of it was because the Suns did an awful job defending him, was Doug McDermott. McDermott was Five of seven from three. And they really needed that because the Indiana second unit offense was missing Tyreek Evans. Now that Tyreek Evans has replaced Victor Oladipo in the starting lineup. So McDermott hitting those shots was very important. Yeah, I uh, did not catch this one. So uh, worth noting though, that T.G. Warren had a nice game uh, with 25 points, played 39 minutes in this one. And the Mikhail Bridges plus minus train uh, slightly derailed. He was negative five in 23 minutes. Uh, What about uh, Atlanta, Miami? That one was close down the end but Miami another ugly loss for them I mean they they fall to seven and 13 three and eight at home including which is really just the universe somehow not appreciating those great Miami Vice uniforms with their like to have some terrible record and they even have the Miami Vice court right now too uh so what what do you take uh from this one briefly so I didn't watch as much of this one and it was nearly a much 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 uglier loss Atlanta was up I think they were up like 14 or 16 in the third quarter and then yeah. Miami had a toward run I think it was at the end of the third quarter and something that I noticed because more of what I watched in this game was late they're really missing Goran Dragos I mean he's out with the having his knee drained and because also not that he's the greatest creator but Tyler Johnson is out too and Deion Waiters is still out so that the offense just doesn't have as much of a place to go in the starting five they're you know starting James Johnson and Magruder and Ellington Richardson those those guys aren't necessarily bad offensive players it's just that they're more complimentary and so they don't have that dominant guy Richardson had you know had four assists and five turnovers and then their second unit guys were you know they were fine that I, I think that Winslow was a part of leading them back into it Wade actually had one of his best most efficient offensive nights but something that director of insight and foresight Liam Doyle pointed out on Twitter was that all you really need is to have Wade's guy cut to the basket at an opportune time and you can get a pretty easy basket that is <laughs> not really going anywhere yeah, that, that's anytime been a drum soon that, uh, that Liam likes to bang I, I enjoy that it is and it's a worthwhile one too because Wade I mean Wade was a wonderful defender at an earlier point in his career and so sometimes those things linger longer than they should and then the big takeaway for me from the Hawks is something that I mean he not that John Collins is going to win every game with a transition fast break but he did in this, like you know finish in this game but they just look so much more competent when he's out there because this is again the idea of a player you know Collins is good but he's so much better than the players he replaces and so their team just looks more cogent also I, I like Deadman in the starting lineup 
better than Len. And doing that gets Len in the second unit where he can do a little bit more work. And so, yeah, I, I think the, the Hawks are kind of in that same mix for me with the Suns where they're going to lose a bunch of games. And, you know, Trey Young, especially when you have a team led by him, there are going to be ups and downs. And he had some really nice passes. And this one also shot one from basically the edge of the logo that went in, which was exciting. But, you know, they are so they're going to be nights when they're competitive and then they're going to be nights when they when they falter. But I've enjoyed watching them a lot this year, which is a nice step. You know, like they're they're fun, bad teams and they're irritating bad teams. And they've gone more on the fun side than I anticipated. Yeah, and that's two straight wins now for the Hawks uh, in last second wins over their Southeast Division brethren. And uh, coincidentally, both of those close wins came over the teams that have been the two unluckiest in the NBA. The Heat are 2.0 wins lower than expected. Uh, we might be feeling a little bit different about them if they were 9-11 and 11 instead of 7-13. and 13. And then, of course, Charlotte is uh, 3.0 wins lower than expected because uh, they are the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, okay, I think that's a, a good one to end on here. Uh, anything that you wanted to talk about before we depart? I don't know when my piece for The Athletic about teams that are going to have cap space, max cap space is coming up, but it might be tomorrow. So you guys can keep an eye on that. And then the NBA cast is coming back for an unusual game. Yes for us to do but i'm excited about it the orlando magic heading to portland to face the portland trailblazers that will be an nba tv game i do not know if wednesdays are players only or not but either way we will be there to do that and it'll be fun so you can check that out on still will be on periscope but the best place to do it is on twitch twitch.tv slash nate duncan nba yeah and we actually have a calendar up now in a google doc which will frequently be updated if you want to bookmark that uh, we tweeted it out today we will continue to do so on a weekly basis the, the link to that so uh go and check that out you can see the schedule we'll at least have it a, a couple of weeks uh, ahead of time but yeah i'm looking forward to doing a, a magic game when's the next last time we're gonna have uh to call a magic game so we actually kind of zeroed in on this one uh also because warriors raptors uh i'm gonna be actually down in la for uh lakers nuggets uh, on thursday so i won't be able to do that one uh talk to y'all next time till then Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 